Let's have a quick prayer as we come to look at God's word together. Father, would you open our minds and our hearts and our wills in Jesus' name. Amen. So my task this morning is to introduce you to Nehemiah, whose book together here at St. Mary's we're going to be reading together over the next eight weeks. As we slowly come out of the lockdown, uh, many churches have been drawn to Nehemiah as a story for our time. Because Nehemiah's story is a story of rebuilding after a great disaster. It's about the spring that follows on from winter. And as such, I hope it will be a story that encourages us as a church, whatever our age, because our children are going to be following on with Nehemiah and their children's groups and over the next couple of months as well. Now, when I say the word story, a story for our time, I don't mean this is a made-up story to read at bedtime. Nehemiah's story is about a real person in real history with a real faith and trust in the real God of the Bible. So let's meet Nehemiah. Let's look at what's going on in his head. There he is on the screen. Uh, friendly chap. Uh, what's going on in his head and in his heart? And what does he do with his hands? Head, hearts, and hands. That's our theme for this morning. And it's also the structure we use for our small groups as well uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, months as we follow on through Nehemiah. We'll be asking uh, questions from the head and how it affects our hearts, and also how we'll put it into practice, what we read. So first of all, let's look at uh, heads. So heads, if you're wondering how heads are described, I could have had a head, but I've got a light bulb instead for you, okay? So it's the light bulb is the first thing to think about. What's going on in your head? Perhaps not much this morning, <laughs> but let's engage our, our minds and look at God's word together. Because the first thing to notice is about where Nehemiah worked. What's going on in his mind? He's got a daily job that he's doing. He's in the citadel, or the fortress, we might call it, of Susa, or Sushan, which puts Nehemiah here on the map. Let's look at the map. It puts him, if you can see, Sushan on that map. That's the Persian Empire. You recognize where that is today. That's the countries of Iran and Iraq, and you've got Saudi Arabia underneath, and Turkey, uh, right up into, uh, over to Pakistan, and up into Afghanistan, and uh, all those other sort of stans that we would call today. That's the, where the Persian Empire uh, was, and uh, Sushan is where he was based. And well, how did someone from Jerusalem, can you see where Jerusalem is? How did he end up in Sushan and Susa? Well, his ancestors must have been part of the people who were exiled when Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. They were taken to Babylon, and then the Babylonians themselves were conquered by the Persians. And so Nehemiah, it's, he's now serving the Persian throne. In fact, he'd done very well. He was, he tells us, cupbearer to the king. Now, it's been a while since I've been to Wadston Manor, but I can remember going to Wadston Manor, not far from here, having the most spectacular cellar. And so Nehemiah is the man in charge of the cellar. He is someone who tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned and is of good quality, which means he'd earned the king's trust. He had the king's ear. He was often in the presence of the king of this large 
empire as king. We even know the name of this king. He was called Artaxerxes. And we also means we have a date for this king, the year 445 BC, which places Nehemiah right at the end of the Old Testament histories. The next stop in the Bible timeline is going to be the birth of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus Christ. So Nehemiah's head was going to be full of his daily responsibilities. I wonder if you put in your little light bulb, you've got your pen, what your head is full of as you begin a new week. But it's not just that that's on his mind. Because back in Jerusalem, that's also what's on his mind, where thanks to the Persians, some of his family have now resettled. And his brother, next slide, has come all the way from Jerusalem to tell Nehemiah what's going on. And he questions his brother about those in Jerusalem. He says, how are they getting on? And he hears that the sad news that these survivors were in great trouble and disgrace. And as for the city of Jerusalem itself, it's still in ruins. The walls are broken down, its gates are broken and unusable. And so there's no protection. And these things matter to Nehemiah. He's not so wrapped up in his day job that the fate of his people, the fate of God's people, the fate of the church, as we would call it, doesn't concern him deeply. And I wonder whether we could say the same. Are we so busy with our schoolwork or the daily shop and the daily meals or our work schedule or enjoying our retirement that we forget that our real home lies far away from here? It lies in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ if we're followers of Christ today. And that's what should matter most to us, our our real home. So Nehemiah gives us, in his opening chapter, an insight to what's on his mind. So I just want you to think, as you begin a new week, where is your thinking centered? How can we, how much of Jesus did that come into our thinking in the past week and be part of his people? So you might like to sort of have a thought about, in the week ahead, how can I put Jesus more into my thinking? And what's on his heart? How can I think about his church and the part I can play as well more? That's the first one, the first uh, thing, the first uh, light bulb, the mind. Let's go on to the heart. So find the, uh, the red hearts. And let's think about what's going on in Nehemiah's heart. And we read these words in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down. And what did he do? He wept. For some days I mourned and fasted, that means he didn't eat anything, and I prayed before the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah isn't just interested in what's going on back in Jerusalem. It's not an intellectual interest. It moves him to tears. He cries over this. His heart bleeds for his fellow believers in the situation that they're in. He feels their pain. And rather than bottling all up and keep it to himself, he takes all his sadness and grief to the Lord and he prays about it. He prays, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people 
of Israel. So Nehemiah shows us here the basis of his relationship with the Lord. Why he prays, he calls him the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, because he's the creator of everything. But the basis of his prayer is based on something he calls this covenant of love. A phrase that first comes on the lips of the prophet Moses way back a thousand years before in the book of Deuteronomy. So Nehemiah knows that he too is part of a story, a story of God's covenant love for a chosen people that goes back over all those years. And covenant love is a special kind of love. It's a love that binds two people together willingly and freely to be faithful to each other whatever happens. Promises are made, rules are agreed to, and consequences explained. And we see that same sort of love in a marriage and in the baptism that's taken place this morning. Promises have been made, love has been exchanged. You see, God, that's the sort of love that God has. He doesn't do half-hearted, distant, non-committal relationship. God's love is a covenant love where he fully commits to us and we fully commit to him. And on this Trinity Sunday, it's good to remember that why is love so central to God's nature? Because the very nature of his being is this relationship of love between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And no other religion has that understanding of God, of this love at the very center of his being. Well, let's look at how then this relationship of love leads Nehemiah to pray. What does he pray? Well, Nehemiah knows that the story of his people has been one of unfaithfulness, one of breaking this covenant of love. But rather than blaming others, Nehemiah sees that he's also, his own heart is also has that unfaithfulness lying within it. So he prays, verse 6, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We're part of the problem, much as anybody else. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. And it's this unfaithfulness that Nehemiah knows is the reason behind the destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering that took place across the nations. From deep down in his heart, Nehemiah says sorry for all the times that he has disobeyed the God who loves him for the way that's been multiplied over and over again by every Israelite in his time. And he repents. He says sorry. He recognizes the damage that his sin has done. And maybe on one side of our red hearts, we can just think this morning of some of those things that we know have um, not been things that God would want us to do in our lives. And maybe just we can just quietly confess one or two things before him this morning. But Nehemiah, you see, is not without hope. This covenant of love he knows still exists, that God still loves him and longs to forgive him. And he goes back to God's promises because he knows that they still stand. And he says this in verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. I'll take my blessing away. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your 
exiled people are at the farthest horizon, living like Nehemiah in Susa. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name, which for Nehemiah was Jerusalem. So in his heart, Nehemiah lays hold of the promises of this covenant-loving God, that if he wholeheartedly returns in his heart to God, then he knows the way will be open for him too to return to Jerusalem because he can trust God's promise. So I wonder, on the second side of your heart, you could just lay hold of that promise that if we return to with all our heart, we can be forgiven and drawn into this wonderful relationship of love with our creator. And then just think for a moment about what else Nehemiah could have set his heart on and what other things we sometimes set our hearts on. He could have set himself, his heart on comfort. The name Nehemiah means actually, uh, the Lord is my comfort. He could have decided that, uh, you know, I quite fancy being a wine cupbearer to the king, tasting all those lovely wines. He could have decided that being the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes was as good as it gets. The best food and wine to taste. Why not just stay where he was and enjoy the good things of life? Or he could have set his mind on being a a man of influence, that maybe he could have moved on from being cupbearer to the king to being somebody else more important at the heart of the empire. He could have stayed where the action was, at the center of the empire. He could have helped to put a word in the king's ears and helped shape nations. He could have enjoyed listening in on the politics and being at the center of everything that was going on. He could have been a Dominic Cummings of his day. He could have decided to leave it to his brother and just um, forget about it all. But he set himself... Uh, oh, actually, just go back a slide. He could have decided to be... Uh, interesting that we had Dominic Cummings and that picture of Pat's pilot washing his hands of the whole affair, saying, look, others can worry about all of this, what's going on in Jerusalem and being in ruins. I don't have to bother myself. It's too far away for me to worry about. But he doesn't do that. The next slide, he he sets his heart on Jerusalem and the temple there and his people of which he's a part. He could have abandoned the God of the Bible and merged into pagan society, but he holds on to his faith and he decides that that's what matters most. So this morning, can I ask you, where is your heart truly set? Is it on personal comfort? The good things in life, power and influence, just washing your hands and avoiding all difficulty? Or is it on the glory of God and the good of his people? Because Nehemiah shows us that it's possible to live in a society where few believe what we believe and still keep your faith. His heart burned for the glory of God and for the good health of his people. So I wonder if we could learn from Nehemiah that we too could set our hearts there in our lives. And then finally, we go on to our hands. Because his first response to the news that Jerusalem is in ruins is to ask the Lord, is there anything I can do to help? How can I use my position in life to help your people? And so he goes from his head to his heart, to his hands. And his prayer ends up asking God if he can personally, what can he do 
to help those people in Jerusalem and sort out the problems there. He says, he prays, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And so he prays and prays and prays. And it took him four months of praying before the king noticed him, that he was sad in the presence of the king. And the king asks him, why are you so sad? And he takes his moment. He prays, God of heaven, help me. And he says, why am I, should I not be sad? Because of what's happening to Jerusalem, to the family of those who live there, my ancestors. And Artaxerxes reaches out to him. He says, you can go. And Nehemiah sees his opportunity. He says, can I have some letters of safe conduct and the best part of a forest to help rebuild Jerusalem? And he's thought ahead. What will I need to get the job done? He'll need some protection and he'll need some planks of wood because there's no concrete of the day. So he uses his opportunity. He uses the position he has He seizes the opportunity, he prays, and God answers his prayer. And it must have felt like a miracle. It was a miracle. When the opportunity finally came, everything he asked for was given to him. So as you look at your hands, I wonder, as the bells chime, uh, just put on your little hand, what do you think you could do to be part of God's, uh, helping God's work here in Chesham? How could you serve him at work as Nehemiah did and use that opportunity to think, how, Lord, can I be of use to you in my life? Just have a look. It might be at school. It might be in the community to which you are part of, your street, your neighbors. How could you use your hands in the service of God Almighty? And here at St. Mary's, how can we use this time that lies ahead of us to help rebuild our church life and help people return to St. Mary's as things become safer to do so. And as we hope and pray, that the pandemic is more and more behind us than in front of us. How can I raise a Christian family? There is so much that we can be doing over the months that lie ahead. So here then is Nehemiah. We've seen his head, his heart, and his hands. Nehemiah's story is a story for our time. The same God that he prayed to is the God that we pray to, the Lord, the God of heaven. And the basis of our relationship with God is the same, this covenant of love that reaches down the ages and which, Rachel and Tim, you've promised to introduce Joshua to in the years that lie ahead. Because this is now your story as well as Nehemiah's story, as well as our story. Because it is this covenant of love which finds its fullest expression in Jesus that draws us to God and a wonderful, deep, rich life in following him. Let's pray together. Loving Lord, would you please continue to shape our minds and touch our hearts with what touches your heart and with the needs of your people here and far away. And Lord, we just give you our hands. We say, Lord, please use us as Nehemiah prayed so that we might be part of your 
eternal purposes in our world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.